I just don't like messing with it. I don't like being responsible for figuring it out. No, 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 that's what I mean. If you know that you've got to take yourself back from him, mm-hmm. what makes it so difficult? If you know it, what makes it so difficult to do it? What makes it so hard to do? Yeah. I don't know. You're aware you have this intimidating influence on it? And some, sometimes, yes. Could you do it at will? I mean, could you just intimidate her anytime you want? Uh, not necessarily. There are times that she can't be intimidated. Yeah. Uh, but there are times when... What's the best way to put her in her place? Uh, usually by raising my voice and uh, uh, making a point and then saying we're not going to talk about it anymore. No. What if she do that? She wilts? Sometimes. Uh, Is that true? If he raises his voice, you'll wilt? I don't know if it, I wouldn't call it wilting. Okay. Well, I would call it more, um, I see this is not going anywhere and this is not a good time to pursue it. You know, I still feel angry. So you just back off. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do with the anger then? I either talk to someone about it. Um, you know, if I still can't handle it, I'll beat up a pillow, um, write so about it. Beat up it. a pillow? Mm-hmm. With his face on it? Just no, just it. Uh-huh. Just talk about being angry. Did you know she beats up pillows when she's angry? Yes. You did know that. How many pillows have you destroyed? <laughs> I didn't destroy anything. One time I did. I had a Nerf bat, and I did break up the Nerf bat. Do you have chair. a favorite pillow that you beat on? Just, you know, can be on any pillow. Do you think you're more angry at him than he is at you? Today, I would say no. That's today meaning nowadays or today nowadays? I mean, like nowadays. nowadays. I, I don't feel like I'm more angry with you're him. You're not. No. And are you still angry at her? In some areas, yeah. What area would you be most angry with her about? We had a, 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 a confrontation or a fight, if you will, um, two, three months ago, and certain things were said. Uh, by Cindy, and uh, some of them were true, some of them weren't, but they hurt. They hurt. And uh, I was extremely angry about them at the time. What's the most hurtful thing your wife has ever said to you? Those are the words that I used. I don't you don't think that's no. the worst thing? That's the worst thing. I don't think that's the exact word she used, but... 
What do you think is the worst thing you ever said to me? Um, probably making accusations. I've made lots of accusations. You make accusations. Uh -huh. That hurts them? Mm -hmm. well, how long do these hurts last in you? She said? Probably. For years. I just I just don't have never hadn't learned uh, until recently how to deal with some of those things and how to let go of the anger. And what would you things. say has lasted the longest? I think not being believed sometimes when I was telling her the truth. You know, there were times that I was lying to her about certain things I was doing, but not being believed when I was telling the truth. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that? His comment that uh, he, he gets hurt or upset that when you don't believe him. Well, if, if there's not any trust, it's just, you know, what how am I to know when you are telling the truth and when you're not telling the truth? What would be the major problem in trusting him? Or what's the major reason you have lack of trust in him? Um, probably his affair. His affair. Mm -hmm. How long ago was the affair? It's been over for quite a while. I can... It's been over quite a while? When did it start? Just roughly, so I get some kind of clothes on here. How long ago did you start the affair? We've agreed not to discuss the time you yeah. have it. Could you drop that agreement for a minute? For a half an hour? <laughs> it's hard for you to... It's hard for me to do that. It's hard for you. You don't want to talk about it anymore. And so I don't talk about I don't talk about the time of it. You don't want to talk about the time of it. You could talk about it but not the time of it. Right. Is that right? Um, to what extent does the affair still stick in your core? Um I just feel like it's you know I don't know like no I don't know that it when it ended necessarily I feel or I sense that it's over. Um, but I keep hearing, you know, that he still has, um, he's, you know, working in an interview with the company where she is and it, it kind of just keeps coming back. What could he ever do to finally get your trust? What could he do? Mm -hmm. Take a length of time of being honest and maybe assuring me and telling me that it indeed was over and that he, you know, that that relationship had 
and ended maybe a letter. But doesn't he wind up like with four points on his license and one more point and he's out? You know what I mean? <laughs> no points on I mean, how can he ever do anything? But, you know, nobody's perfectly honest. If he does one more dishonest thing or one more distrustful thing, does it bring it all back again? One more dishonest thing? Um, maybe. I don't know. It would depend on what it is. Uh-huh. What would you say to your wife's difficulty in trusting you? I understand I have violated a lot of trust she put in me over the years and that I, I understand that, that it has to be rebuilt. It just isn't a matter of she just goes, okay, the slate's clean and we go forward. And it's out of bounds to discuss how long the affair lasted or when it was. Is that right? I don't want to. It's okay. Uh, then I want to ask you some other questions about it, all right? Mm -hmm. Okay. What was sex like with this other woman? I mean, you know, how would you compare it? It was good. It was good. How would you compare it to sex with your wife? Well, at the time, Cindy and I didn't have a very good sexual relationship. Uh -huh. used to think about? I mean, when you're having sex with this other woman, who do you think about? Um, sometimes I'd be thinking about Cindy because of the guilt. God, he, he might be able to get to think more about you when he's with the other woman than he's with you. I said to you that I think trust is kind of a dependent notion, meaning that people who are really moving ahead with their life, who really have a sense of their own destiny, who are putting forth their own hand in relationship to where they want to go, mm -hmm. they don't seem to worry much about trusting others. Because they just move ahead and, uh, you know, if others come along with them, fine, okay. But that the whole, well, I would agree with the value of trust, the focus on trust puts one in a dependent position. It gives the other one power over you. What would you say to that now? I could kind of agree with that. Um, I still think that um, in a relationship that we agree to or you know we have a commitment to one another and maybe it's that part that hurts the most is when that commitment is is broken well then i come back to mm -hmm. how will you know when you know it's okay to trust well probably i sense it it's Your like sense. a uneasiness inside uh -huh. now you're both separate mm -hmm. um You'd have to live together again before you could trust him, or you could trust him before you moved back together? I could trust him before we moved back together. You could. Mm -hmm. And what's keeping the two of you apart? 
Ed, why aren't you living together? Because he's not ready. You're not ready. When will you be ready? Don't know. You don't know. What's your guess? I truly don't have a guess or an estimate or a, a date when I think it will be all right. What would have to happen? How would you know when you know? I think I, it would reach a point where I'm, I'm comfortable being around Cindy all the time. There are, there are times that I'm not comfortable being around her. That uncomfortableness, how much of that is in you and how much of that is because of what she does? Right now, I think a lot of it's mine. In you? Yes. Um, before, there was, a, there, was a, there was a lot of anger. Cindy was working on some issues that I didn't understand. And there was a lot of anger in her, and I didn't know what was going on. And I was just uh, pulled away mm -hmm. to, to protect myself, I guess. You know, you two are too close. Like two trees in the forest. You ever see two trees in the forest that become like one? You can't tell where one ends and the other begins. And I think if you could separate more, you might get together. Yeah, one nervous system. What I'm getting to is what would it take for either of you to uh, simply get a sense of self that was less bound up with the other. That's not the same thing as uh, breaking up or divorcing or mm -hmm. whatever. What would have to happen for, for that to occur? For me, I feel like that's, that is one of, say, the gifts, that there can be a gift from separation that's I feel is happening to me. Uh -huh. Did you see it happen in the end? Mm, maybe some. Maybe. He's had some other, to me, he's had other stuff that's, you know, to work on, that he's worked on, and other things that have happened during our separation that um, maybe have diverted his attention from. But how much longer will you put up with it? I don't know. Hmm? I don't know. You don't know. I said a year, originally. You I said, said a year. year. That was my... Uh, Nisi thought it would be forever. That I'd put up with it forever. Yeah. I'm not sure. There's nobody else around? Nobody that, you know, I go with or anything. Could you love him a little less? Could I love him less? In my own, say, self-love, you know, be less diverted mm. from him, yes. Yeah, here's a, uh, let me draw something on the board here. I'll show you what I'm at. Um, in, uh, mm -hmm. put it a little closer. Uh, pasteurization. When pasteurized milk, mm -hmm. 
the curve is like this, in which, when you, I don't remember the exact thing, but when you get it up to about 160 degrees, you get pasteurization. But if you get it above 190, roughly, all you get is boiling and bad taste. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough just to get it above 160. You can't get it above that. So I think this is the curve for love, too, which is you can put a lot of intensity in something, you can put a lot of motion into something, and if you don't put enough time together and you don't put a lot of motion in it, you'll never get it up to the 160. But after a point, if you keep it up, all you get is boiling and bad taste again. So most couples, when they got problems like yours, think they're down here and try harder to get above it. And I think you're up here and you need to get down here. So you're gonna tell us how to do that? Uh -huh. I'm gonna go tell you how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I got an idea. <laughs> You two are about the second most serious couple I've ever seen. And I want to know how you got there. I mean, this thing was never taken. Huh? Serious in what way? <laughs> That's a serious question. <laughs> um, what is your thought about that conversation? Seriously. joking around or uh, well do you think it's accurate I mean how much playfulness is there between you there is a lot uh -huh. oh really so I'm all alone I'd say there's more than there used to be more than there used to be we cut well it kind of went like when we first got married I feel like we had a lot and then our marriage started going like this and now I feel like we're on the upswing, that there is a um, lot more playfulness. What do you think is, is bringing it back up? Um, just, I don't know, just taking the time to do fun things or to, to talk about the things that we like to do and doing them. Well, who's more serious? I mean, hmm. He's more serious about money. <laughs> And I'm more serious about, um, I guess you'd say, children and family. What would it take you to get less serious about money? I know you're, you don't have a job now, it's hard to do all that. You know, aside from that, my assumption is you're always serious about money. That's what I do for a living. serious about money is to get out of the debt that we're in right now. Okay, well, that would help. There's no question about that. Um, and, you know, we've gotten overextended over the years. and it, it, uh, It's not a constant preoccupation of mine, but it is something that's never very far from the conscious thought. What I was getting to is I was wondering if the two of you weren't trying too hard. To have fun or to be serious? No, too hard. <laughs> Neither one. <laughs> All uh, to make it work. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, I would say I probably do. You think you do? Oh, I've been told that. I, You've I, been told that by others yes. too. Well, it must be true. Yeah. <laughs> I just want a family really bad. You just want a family. Mm -hmm. And I want it to work out. That would mean that you're pursuing him primarily. Yes. 
Or that I'm the one. I'm I'm waiting. You're waiting. Waiting. What's the effect on you when she pursues you? Sometimes it's enjoyable. Yeah. Um, feel wanted. Other times I I know I don't want that, so I kind of pull back or try to disengage. Can he pull back without you getting your dick? I think he can now. He can now. It didn't, you know, I was telling you about the gifts. I, I, I really wasn't that way at first. I would be real sad when he would leave and, and um, I'd feel rejected. I was getting to about the seriousness was you know, the phrase used in our culture for a couple that's dating. As they move toward marriages, they got serious about one another. Are your intentions serious? How long have you been dating seriously? And every couple I know, I don't think there's any couple that doesn't lose some of the playfulness mm -hmm. that's involved in courtship once they get married. And somehow or other, commitment seriouses us up. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering, it may sound absurd to say this because you're worried that he ain't committed and you're living away and so on. I was wondering if you're taking your commitments too seriously. <laughs> it's absurd as that sounds. And what would it take uh, for the two of you just to be together without thinking about, without trying to make it happen, so to speak? Could you do that? Mm -hmm. Could you do that? We've been trying to do that some, somewhat lately. It sounds like the two of you are trying. It sounds like you're both motivated. It sounds like uh, there's some upswing. Mm -hmm. What torpedoes it? My opinion is that it's um, it's spontaneity. It's the unplannedness of it. The intimate moments that we've had together have been more um, unplanned. And that bothers you? No, I like that. Oh, you like that? The clothes, I mean, they haven't been like, this is what we're going to do, this is where we're going to go. Um, they haven't been mapped out. They've been more like surprises. You like that too? For the most part, yeah. The question I was asking was, if the two of you both seem to be on the same side, so to speak, of making this work, what's in the way? I don't feel I can give Cindy the commitment right now that she wants. Okay. Could you spell that out a little more? What is it the commitment, what is the commitment you see she wants and Talk about why you don't think you could do that. Um, she wants a commitment of faithfulness, um, which is something I've been doing, but I... Um, for some reason, I just have a hard time saying that, that I will. In, I believe. Um, I'm just not ready to do that, to live with her on an everyday basis. 
can you talk anymore about what it is that keeps you from doing it? When you say you're not ready. I guess I'm, I, I have fear of committing the rest of my life to her. You fear committing the rest of your life to her. What is it about her that makes you fear commitment to her? If anybody looked at her, they turned to stone. You know, is that what it's like? When she gets that way, she's like Medusa. You know, we just turn to stone. Is that it? Might be an appropriate analogy. Did you know you could do that? Mm -hmm. When she gets that aura, as you said, where do your thoughts start to go at the moment? You know. What did I do? Because a lot of the anger, I didn't know what was going on, and I couldn't figure out what I'd done. I spent a lot of time playing that game with myself. Um, you know, it got to the point where I, I just ran from it. I tried to get away. And uh, it wound up in the, in, in the separation that we're in now. Some of the couples I work with up in Washington, when the guy says that, I suggest that he misread it. They do it on purpose, or they yeah. did. So that every, you know, every time you see her with that aura, tell her she looks sexy. Or, you know, God, you're getting seductive again, aren't Terrific if you could turn it into something a little arousing, wouldn't it? Instead of having to withdraw from it. I guess. Have you ever practiced that faith? You know, whatever it is that gets it? Probably. <laughs> I'm a school teacher, so. You're a school teacher? Yeah, so I probably have an angry face. Can you keep the kids in control with the same thing? I don't know. It's probably pretty close. You know, the look that makes them look at you and they know what you're saying without saying it. 
But you can't possibly expect her never to be angry again. No. Can you say that when she gets angry, you used to think what you did to cause it, is that it? Yes. And her anger makes you feel guilty? Or responsible? Sometimes. What would it take for you uh, to say, she's angry, that's her feeling, and that's her problem? And I'm not responsible for getting her angry. I think sometimes understanding what she's angry about allows me to do that. You'd have to know what she's angry about. Right now, for me to, to understand and let go like that, it helps me to understand why she's angry. But if she just got angry and, I mean, suppose she didn't know herself. Are you aware that he's so sensitive to your anger? Yes. You are? Mm-hmm. What's the effect on you of him being so sensitive to your anger? Um. Oh, pillows. Okay. Now, I, now I understand the pillow. <laughs> but, well, I do feel fear that, you know, I am angry. I mean, it's like I know I have a right to my anger, but there's some fear about sharing that I'm angry with him and in a way that it's not going to scare him that I'm angry. Let me shift that a little bit. Okay. Is your mother alive? Yes. What do you do when she's angry? You ignore her. I do now. She, when I was younger, I obviously paid attention to when my mother was angry. But what would you have been more likely to do when you were you were younger with her anger? I felt guilty for whatever I'd done. Or how would your mother show anger? What would she do? Most of the time, she's, you can, she would be visibly angry. What, what would you see? How would you know your mother's angry? What's she doing? Just a look in her face. Just a look in her face. That's another Medusa you got? <laughs> what, what, what did your father do with her anger? Saw them argue with one another? Or? Rarely. Rarely. Someone is quoted in the USA Today yesterday as saying that parents should never argue in front of their children, like the way they argue. Would you agree with that, having seen what happened? 
Or would you be better off today if your parents had argued more in front of you? I don't know the answer to the second question. The, you know, I don't believe it's unhealthy for the children to see the parents arguing it as long as it's um, you know, not a violent confrontation. Uh -huh. Do you, you have a younger brother or sister? Younger brother. A younger brother. Did he get much of your mother's anger? I, I honestly don't remember. Uh, I, I think Philip probably got less of it than, than I did. I think by the time Philip had reached his teenage years that they had kind of given up after the fights they'd been through with me. And your folks are still alive today? Yes. Both of them. Mm -hmm. And they still don't argue and there isn't much anger between them? Not a lot. I mean, they, uh, they carpet each other more than anything else now. They know about the problems you've been having? Yes. And I gather you're living at home now? Yes. And what's their view on things? Just generally. Um, they're both sad that we're in the situation we're in. Um, they both um, don't like the idea of divorce from what it does. Standard of living financially uh, to the children. Their like their primary focus and concern is the is the children. Your their grandchildren. Yes. Have you ever discussed any of these more personal kinds of issues with your mother or your father? For example, have you ever gone to your mother and asked her about um, the anger issue, or told her how you are affected by your wife's anger? No. Would you be willing to do it? Um, I don't see what benefit I would derive from it. Well, sometimes the stuff we carry over into the marriage is related to unresolved stuff from the family. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know, it would just be real interesting to uh, Go and talk to your mother about, we could do it even play for you. She isn't angry much at you anymore, is that what you said? I don't believe so now. And uh, just go back and tell her that uh, one of the problems you've got is dealing with your wife's anger and uh, ask her for advice on how a man should deal with a, a woman's anger. That sounds ludicrous to you? Bordering on ludicrous. What? Bordering on ludicrous. Bordering on ludicrous. Got any ideas what you'd say? I don't really know. I'm not. Suppose you went to your father and asked him how he has managed to keep his wife from being angry at him over the years. I think he just ignores it. He just ignores it. Well, maybe you should ask him for lessons on how to ignore it. Can you at all see whether there is some connection between your mother's anger toward you and her lack of anger toward him?
I can't draw a connection for it. Well, I was thinking, you're so sensitive to her anger, or your wife's anger. You remember your mother being angry. You don't see her as being too angry at your brother, or necessarily your husband. And I was wondering how much of the anger you got from your mother was kind of a displacement. Like a leak in a pipe that came down on you instead of being up where it belonged. And uh, this is the kind of issue that I would standardly recommend that people take back into their family of origin. And instead of discussing with a, ther a therapist, discuss it with their parents at any age. And sometimes uh, what you get from one, you pass on to the other. Would you be afraid to do it, or it just doesn't make sense? I think there would be some fear in doing it. Some fear in doing it. Could you spell that out a little more? It's not a lot, there wasn't a lot of how do you feel type discussions in my family and, and discussions of that nature. I, I just don't remember ever having any. So I guess breaking the new ground, if you will, would be fearful for me. Would they just disintegrate? I doubt they would just disintegrate. They like her? For the most part. For the most part. <laughs> they don't know. On the checklist, what doesn't get <laughs> um, My parents are not aware of, of uh, Cindy's incest issues, and they don't. Okay, I'm going to stop it there. I wanted to give more time for responses from you all. Um, we got talking there a bit about how they responded to her. And uh, it turned out that um, her mother-in-law, his, his mother, is much more positive towards her than his father. And uh, I asked her uh, at some point what she thought about her husband going and talking to his parents about it, and she said she'd love to be a fly on the wall when that happened. <laughs> what I eventually then did was, after I thought I'd gotten to any possible issue, is I asked her, what do you think would happen if she worried less about his reaction to her anger and expressed it any time? She said, um, well, maybe he'd leave me. And I said, how do you know he wouldn't come closer? And that was like a light bulb for her. And I said, it's not that you would get angry reactively or at him, but that you'd simply take the position with your husband, look, look man, I've got a right to be angry when I want, and I'm going to express myself, and you're going to have to learn how to handle your reactions to it. And she said, I like that. <laughs> and I responded, uh-oh. And, and then I just kept going with her 
in the direction of, suppose you worried less about him. And I ended up telling her the story of the fable in the fables book about the man, uh, it's called a nervous condition, where the man is born with his ganglia sticking out of his skin and they trail around him. So everybody stays away from him for fear of stepping on his feelings. And he goes through school, getting good marks, goes through, gets a better job than he's qualified for, marries this woman who decides to shield him from pain, but she develops symptoms. And then finally what happens at the end of the fable is she's so furious at him, she runs after him and stomps on his ganglia and chases him all around, stomping on his ganglia instead of avoiding. They both fall asleep exhausted, and when she wakes up, she notices that her tick is gone, her colitis is gone, and the strangest thing is when she looks at her husband, his ganglia have totally recoiled inside his skin. And she says, that's a good story. Um, and, um, in other words, that would be a way of trying to support her without looking like I'm really taking sides. If she hears it, great. And if she doesn't, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Anyway, uh, I'd be more interested in hearing from you at this point uh, about your thoughts on what you just saw as a form of counseling, as an effort to uh, promote strength in the system. It goes against the notion of, I don't know if it goes against it, but it's certainly not taking the approach of you two got to sit down and work out all your problems and learn to communicate and so on. I can't hear you. It was very playful. Playful. God, I was working so hard there. <laughs> um, playful, yes, okay. I think that's fairly typical of what I would try to do. Huh? I'm just curious as to what you were thinking when you said he didn't want to devolve the time and the duration of the affair. Of the affair. Well, what I did there is something I learned from Murray Bowen years ago. It had the questions to him about what sex was like is really for her. I asked that question after I thought it was still in her craw. And Bowen had taught me that if you ask that question, to the one having the affair, it will be very salutary for the other one. Because their fantasies are going wild. And um, that was what was behind that. Um, see, I'm not out there to try to prove what the truth is. I'm not interested in the truth. I, how do I know the truth? How do you verify this stuff? What I'm trying to do is get them to define themselves to one another and promote strengths. Um, I had one about, uh, wow, this goes back, 15 years at least. There's a hotline for reform rabbis. And um, the person who handled the hotline was away that summer and asked me to take it for a month. And I get a phone call 10,000 miles away from a rabbi who was just found in bed with one of his congregants by her husband and he's ready to commit suicide. And um, this is the one where he went, his, the president of his congregation was a woman, and he went over to her and she said, you better stay with us for a while. And what, what happened was 
This had occurred to him on two other continents. And her, his mother-in-law was visiting at the time. <laughs> and um, what do you do when you're 10,000 miles away from somebody who tells you they're going to kill themselves? So I'm sitting and thinking, what am I going to do with this one? And he's on the phone. And so I decide to challenge him. And I say to him, you know, you'd have never survived Auschwitz. And he says to me, you're right. Usually I'm more gutsy about this sort of thing. I don't know what's the matter with me. So I kind of supported him to uh, take stands, work on a whole bunch of things. And then I didn't hear from him for a couple of months. And then just after the Jewish holidays, I decided to call him and see what was going on. And I get his wife, who I've never spoken to. And I listened to her talking about things, and she said something like, well, I can accept him back as my husband, but I can't accept him back as my rabbi. And I think the sex issue, that's what's in there. But the problem is, they're not in my office. What do I do with this? Well, you may know about an old Hasidic tale in which somebody, a rabbi, would go to a particular spot, say a prayer, and if it was always the same spot and always the same prayer, whatever he prayed for would come true. The next generation forgot the prayer, the next generation forgot the place, so they just kept telling the story. <laughs> so I got that in my head, and I figured, well, I can't do it, but I can tell the story. So I say to her on the phone, 10,000 miles away, you know, if you were in my office, I would ask him in front of you what sex was like to the other woman. Now follow the dialogue. She says to me, I can't accept him as my rabbi anymore. And I say to her, I'd, if I was seeing you two, I would get the conversation around the sex. She says, well, we have been seeing a psychiatrist and he did bring up the issues of sex, but he asked me to leave the room first. So he went in the exact opposite direction of what I was trying to do. Um, that rabbi still in the synagogue. He also, I saw recently, was advertising for an associate. <laughs> Bowen was into something very deep. I'll give you another one on it. A Baptist congregation. The previous minister was hanging on as a pastoral counselor and they find out he'd had affairs with five members of the congregation. The board of trustees gets together and they are, they feel polluted. They feel guilty, they feel polluted, and they invite me in to do a two hour session with the board of trustees. And we go the first hour around the room and it isn't going anywhere, it isn't getting anywhere. They're all discussing how is the, is the church itself now sick? Is it in sin? And it's heavy. So we take a break. And I remember this thing, and I say, that's what I got to do. So we go back after the break, and we sit down for the second hour, and I get them into a huge gossip session on where they thought this minister was having the affairs. Was it in his room? Was it behind the pulpit? What was it? And so on. And, and I get that thing going for about 10 minutes, and then when I thought we'd played it out, I stop it, and then I got, got them back to the future of the church, and things went really well. So that's what's behind that thing. It's, it's very deep. <laughs> Other questions about 
about this session. Whereas I said, what I'm aiming for is the promoting of strength. Would you take the microphone? Because it's a little hard to hear. Um, when I watch a videotape like this, I think uh, my faith gets uh, must be pretty weak. Say it again. My faith must be pretty weak. Yes. Because uh, that fellow was a real dud. And I don't have any faith at all that he's ever going to be a, 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 a marriage partner for her. She did just, you hear what I said at the beginning? Did you come in late? Did you hear what yes, I said I did, at, the sir. at the beginning? When I introduced uh -huh. it? Yeah. And so you, you don't have much faith in his capacity to change. And but here's the other side of it. He's a very dependent guy. And the question I keep raising all over America is why are the dependent in charge? When their dependency should be pulling them along. If that other person will get less empathic, you know, I'd like to run insensitivity training, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if I can get her to be less sensitive to his feelings, which is what he does, he wraps everybody up in his feelings and get her moving in a direction toward herself. If I was seeing them in Washington, I'd turn her into the uh, most beautiful bitch you ever saw. Mm -hmm. At least that's the way he'd perceive her, but he'd also be attracted to her, and I would explain to her that she will always have to be the leader, and the important thing is that she not adapt to him. Now, here's what I know happened. The therapist, upon seeing this tape, began to recognize how snookered she'd been into all his sensitivity stuff and started to make changes also towards supporting her. Because I got to talk to the whole audience, including the therapist, after the session. And that took place in December. In March, he got a job in Ohio and invited his family to join him. But she's the one who's going to have to always be the leader in that system, no question, unless he, at some point, is willing to look at issues in his own family of origin. So that's where, but my faith, what is my faith in? No, I wouldn't have faith in him, but I have faith in these processes. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I stay with the strengths and support the strengths, the weaker people who have looked strong because they were making such a big issue when they see they can't win, they join the other side. So that's what's behind my faith. I think that if I could uh, move further in that direction, it would be a big help to me. <laughs> <laughs> I could use some of that. Okay, well what it means is, and I'll get into this more maybe tomorrow, it, it has something to do with increasing your pain threshold for people like him. Yeah, I could use some of that too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, tomorrow I'm going to discuss that at more, more at length. Thank you very much. Do you believe it's possible for a marriage to have two co-leaders? Sure. I think in the very successful marriages, the partners take turns at different times. But in crisis, one has to move first.
Rarely do you find two people from the same marriage equally motivated to work on it. Generally, the one who contacts you is the one in stress. And usually the one who is stressed is the one who's taking too much responsibility. The big paradigm shift here is, instead of working with the troubled person, you work with the motivated person. Instead of working with the symptomatic person, you work with the motivated person. And that can mean, even if the motivated person is the symptomatic one. But that the ultimate criterion is not who has the symptom, it who has the motivation. The ramifications of this for family process, or the ramifications of family process for this are enormous. Just to take a modern thing that is now going to hit the pages or is becoming more and more, is the whole thing about physician-assisted suicide. Someone who's part of a, a physician, a psychiatrist, who's part of some society on suicide, wrote a letter to the New York Times, an op-ed piece in the New York Times a while back, about how he was opposed to physician-assisted suicide because too many patients would opt for that to spare the family. But he never goes to the next step. The next step is you don't work with terminal people alone. You bring the family in. So you don't take that suicide issue, and that's my major problem with Gravokian, is that focus on the terminal patient in isolation from the family. You get an entirely different picture, you get an entirely different outcome if you take that terminal patient and the family and you put them in the same room and you start asking challenging questions and bounce it back and forth. In generation to generation, those of you who have read it, um, in chapter seven on rites of passage, I describe a long, long dialogue of me and a terminally ill family. And I know if I was seeing anyone where that issue came up for suicide, I'd bring the family in and I'd start right out and I would say to the other people in the family, um, your husband, son, father uh, thinks that he would like to end his life. What do you think? And I'd get each one to respond to him. I'd get him to respond back. I would turn to him and I would ask questions like, how are we going to know that you're doing this for you instead of the family? No, I'm doing it. Well, I am doing it for the family. Mother, wife, daughter, what would you say to that? Your husband, father, son is dying for you. And I keep that stuff back and forth and back and forth. And uh, I believe that whatever result occurred after a session like that, it would be a more objective result. I think a lot less people might opt for it, but I also think that if they did die, the family would have less ghosts connected to it. This focus on terminally ill people alone, I'll say some, you know, that thing I said about, uh, I have more concern for the fathers of children living than children. Here's another one. I have more concern for the survivors than the dying person. I'm concerned with the multi-generational processes that are going down to the next generation. So that's another reason I want to bring the family of a terminally patient, terminally ill patient in that room and get them talking about it. Yeah. This might be um, 
almost inviting a uh, diagnosis more of me than of a situation, but uh, um, I find as a pastor that it's almost beyond my ability to keep from being the answer man uh, to, to uh, stuff the answers back in and, and when, I, when you look at a couple and you say right away, I know what their problem is, or, or when they are, um, or what, particularly when people put you in that role, uh, what does God say, or what, you know, um, what should we do? And uh, that would not lead to the kind of session that you just had on the videotape. I'll tell you how it all began for me. At the very beginning, I couldn't get malpractice insurance because I didn't belong to the right organizations. And Murray Bowen said to me, malpractice comes about when the professional gives too much promise. It's a breach of promise suit. And I decided from that time on, I was going to be on the other side of giving too much promise. Uh, and it takes a lot of smarts to be stupid all the time. But no one has ever been, stu no one has ever been sued for being too stupid, only for being too, <laughs> only for being too smart. And the only thing I could recommend is get all the tapes of Columbo Detective Store movies that you can. <laughs> and just model yourself on him. Buy an old car and an old raincoat. <laughs> you know. Well, we can continue this tomorrow. So uh, I'll see you all at 9 o'clock. And I've got another... <laughs>